Hey y'all, welcome back to a Monday, August 1st, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast presented by Blue Wire Pods. Uh, I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Hard to believe that it's uh, already August 1st. Football will be here before you know it. Last semester grad school will be here before you know it. My wedding will be here before you know it. A lot happening this fall, so very excited about that, but uh, it is a fun, fun uh, Monday, August 1st edition here on the program. I think you guys are going to really like uh, what we got here. We got a two-parter today. We've got uh, college football ceilings, uh, SEC specifically with uh, Graham Coffee of uh, Dog Central. So that was a lot of fun. And I think you guys will very much enjoy that exercise. We've also got, oh yeah, we're also kicking things off here with Coach Nick of B-Ball Breakout. Wow. B-Ball breakdown to talk all things uh big signings and how they fit in the nba so seven biggest signings uh from this uh summer trades included uh and how they actually fit schematically on their new team with uh, an expert like coach nick so that's how we're starting things off here in part one uh sec ceilings with graham coffee on part two so jam-packed show for you guys today as we kick a new week off. Um, I hope you guys had a great weekend and thank you as always for making the Chase and Most podcast part of your day to listen wherever and however you listen to this program. We greatly appreciate it. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas podcast, like, and subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, as we continue growing out the YouTube channel, you can also uh, read me and all my sports writing at sportsrenaissanceman.substack com tweeted me at chase double underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer all right part one coach nick let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right welcome back to the chase thomas podcast taping this on a friday afternoon first timer coach nick a youtube legend had my old friend Yovan Bua on uh, not too long ago, which was a very good episode that folks should go check out if they have not already done some people breakdown. But man, it's kind of wild to A, see you. I, there are some guests where I have um, each week where I watch their stuff. So then when I see you on my show, it looks very strange because it feels like I'm watching something. So I got to remember that I'm actually leading this and this is my <laughs> show and that like I'm, this is not something I'm watching while doing other stuff. But it's very cool that uh, you're here, Coach Nick, because you're someone I've been watching and reading for, for I'm not going to say how many years, but a number of years, Coach, because basketball Twitter, I mean, we're all we're getting up there now. Like it's it's been a little bit. Uh, it has. I, I, I do feel old when I get those kind of uh, compliments. But, uh, hey, they're better than no compliments at all. So let, let, <laughs> here we are. Absolutely, man. And I mean, your stuff is just great. I learn something new every day going through your stuff. And um, that's important because there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there, which is just fluff and like, oh, this guy sucks and this guy doesn't. And it's like, well, well, let's dig a little deeper. And yours is always informative and not malicious and not also just like PRE. It's just, hey, this is what it is. This is what the film shows. And this is what we do. Um, well, we're going to talk, I want to do this, uh, idea because, uh, with Corbin Ford front of the pod, we did, um, our biggest, um, NBA moves that we found the most interesting and listed it. I want to get it not from that, uh, just kind of 50 feet up in the air. I'd rather do it from the schematic perspective. So when you're thinking about how this is actually going to work with these big moves that have kind of defined this off season, how they actually fit and where they're going. Um, we can have ideas about what we think of what the organization did they get good value, whatever. I'm more curious how you see these fits actually playing out on the court and which ones um, work, which ones won't, because not of them will work. And that's just the reality of the NBA is you move around a lot of pieces and some guys you, we just thought were always going to work and then they just don't. Um, even the brightest basketball minds ever to like play this game lebron james got it wrong like i think he would even admit at this point he got it wrong with russell westbrook it just happens like it's just it's it's hard um but i want to start just so happens i just dropped the video not five minutes ago yeah that, that outlines how russ could actually make it work so there is mm-hmm. a matrix where you know they, if he does this and only these things then you know what the offense will work a lot better and then if they are healthy then they'll be better anyway so you know uh you never that's what i'm here for like i want right. to 
if there's a way. In fact, it was when I had Yovan Buha on the show, mm. we were talking about the, the sort of the destruction of Russell Westbrook and how that completely mm. fell apart. That was where I got the idea. I said, you know, someone, there must be some way to make this thing work. And I, yeah. so I dug through hundreds and hundreds of clips to find, you know, what was working where and how. And uh, so, yeah, so, you know, you, you never know. Sometimes things can turn around after a little bit of time. Wait, so are you bullish now on Westbrook working this well, year? Uh, you know, listen, how many versions of the Matrix are there? I mean, you yeah. about Loki, I mean, there's timelines all over the place. So mm. can they get the one? It's it's just like, yeah, it's Doctor Strange. It's the one yeah. uh, out of a million different versions. So, no, I'm not bullish. But um, mm. and, and primarily because with Russ, you have to rely on the fact that he will change. But he did change the way he shot threes down the stretch. The last, like, 12 games shot really, really well from three. And it was that that's something that means mm. he doing something to, to look at what he's doing and fix it. So you never know, but um, I mean, it's probably a 20% chance. Yeah. I just feel like it's one of those, like when you listen to Darvin Ham, who's just an easy guy to root for and finally getting his opportunity. I just, what he's saying about Russ makes sense. Like, yeah, he could just be a drew holiday type. Like if he came into the league with that mindset, like they are built in the similar ways. Like if you look at their size, their length and what they like, just their style, you're like, he could be a cross between Bruce Brown and Drew Holiday at this point in his career. He could be some sort of cross of that. Yeah. But he's not he's not wired like that. Like I just I don't think you can do that. You Drew Holiday was always wired to play that way. Russell right. Westbrook's plus, just not. Defensively, Drew Holiday's is better and, and has yeah. wired to play defense and Russ just simply isn't. And yeah. I don't think it's gonna change at age thirty three or thirty four, whatever he is. Right. Um, and then plus, Drew Holiday does shoot the ball so much better as it is yeah. from deep anyway, is more of a threat. Uh, it'll take a long time and a lot of shots made by Russ for the defense to even begin to give him any kind of uh, attention out there. Uh, but that's that's in a way it could be good because that means mm-hmm. he'll have 20, 30 games where he'll be wide open and they're going to let him shoot it. And if he has adjusted his rhythm where he's not hanging in the, in the air as much on the on the uh, release shooting on the way down and um, he's got a much better like dip on his shot on the, on the catch and shoots, which he also was eliminating some of the, the uh, off the dribble threes. Well, then he can kind of be viable because that makes him someone that could play off ball. Uh, and in fact, when I show in the video, that's really where, you know, if he's going to make it work, he, he, he can like uh, with LeBron James as the tip of the sword on the, on the offense, it, he can play off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is evidence, not a lot, but there is that that could work for him if he's going to accept that. So uh, that's the real key. You know what I think? I think we should blame Chip England, who finally made the jump to Oklahoma City after so many years in San Antonio. Like if he had just started his career, if he left a long time ago and Russ was first coming into the league, a lot of this is alleviated if he was able to work with Russ right out of the gate here. So it really comes down to Chip waiting until now. Well, you're assuming that Chip could get through to him, and that's another Mm -hmm. question. I don't know. Uh, But uh, certainly... Yes, somebody could have helped him earlier uh, from doing that, and uh, and that would have been better for him. But here we are. We'll see. We'll see. This is not a Russell Westbrook podcast. That's uh, the, the, that's that's for other shows right now. Um, what I want to start with is KCP to Denver, which I thought was super interesting because they are moving. It's the two for one where they're getting slimmer. The rotation's going to be slimmer. Um, it's more pressure on KCP to stay healthy. Michael Porter Jr. to stay healthy because Will Barton. I mean, he had his injury stuff, but he was still someone that he was a glue guy and now you're counting on KCP to fill in the gaps and fit in seamlessly with this group. Um, And then Monty Morris, who's just been so steadfast with this group for so many years and just like really kept him afloat without Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray's healthy. So it's like, okay, he's back like the 36 minutes, whatever, like we have to move on. You can't just pay a backup and Monty deserves an opportunity to spread his wings a little bit more uh, somewhere else. But I look at this fit and I'm curious, like when you look at KCP and what Denver typically runs, does he feel like someone who will slide in and be really good with Jokic and he'll get he'll Jokic will find him in the corner and he'll play really seamless? Is this a good fit for what Michael Malone does? Oh, I, I think absolutely. We can't forget that not, you know, two two years ago or whatever it was when the Lakers were in the finals, mm. he was the third best player, the fourth best player. He was somewhere up there with them and yeah. it was really, really instrumental playing off of those guys. And now you got a guy in Jokic who is a 
a better passer than LeBron. Like mm-hmm. in different ways, he could very well be that way. And uh, and he, without a question, as long as he's healthy and he's still got some legs left in him, uh, he could easily play off those guys. He's he's that guy that most teams would love. He he does play hard. He can shoot the ball a little bit. Although I kind of wanted to check what he did in in, um, in Washington last year. I kind of I don't know if you watched much Wizards, but somehow they escaped my viewing. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, he, he's proven himself to be a guy that can can be league average ish, which, mm-hmm. which is enough that you need uh, for the defenses to have that extra step and a half in their direction. But, you know, it's funny about when we talk about spacing is that, you know, what does that mean in terms of positionally on the defensive end? How much closer are they to a shooter versus a non-shooter? It probably is only a step or a step and a half when you really look mm-hmm. at it. That's pretty crucial when you're talking about guys that can shoot with just a little bit of daylight involved. So uh, I think it's um, – I, I mean, I love the guys uh, that they, they got rid of uh, for mm-hmm. KCP um, and, you know, didn't necessarily feel like they needed to make a move for that. So that's another interesting thing. But KCP shot, uh, you know, 39% last year on five threes a game. So, uh, you know, he's got a stroke down. He'll – they'll – He'll make them forget that they were there. I think to some degree, we'll be able to plug in a lot of the holes um, that the um, that Monte Morris is leaving. And um, and um, oh my goodness, who else just got traded? You said um, uh, Will Barton. Will Barton. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll see. Very different player, Will Barton and uh, KCP. But they need shooting, and you can never have enough shooting. And he won a title. Like he he's someone who will be helpful come playoff time, which is what Denver is uh, trying to do very quickly uh, as these guys are all more expensive and uh, an ownership group that may or may not want to uh, keep an expensive team for the next three to five years. Uh, so the sooner you win, the better. Um, Kevin Herter, my old friend here in Atlanta, um, going to Sacramento. I look at this as like the sneaky, sneaky, really good fit for him where it was a salary dump for Atlanta. They were trying to save some money here. But Sacramento deserves credit for jumping on Kevin Herter and kind of buying low because he did have kind of a rough year uh, this year in Atlanta. But he's going to get bigger opportunities. He's not going to have to worry about where he fits in the rotation. He's not going to worry about, like, am I starting tonight? Am I not starting tonight? He should be the starting two guard next to De'Aaron Fox. Like, he, uh, him and Keegan and Harrison Barnes, I like that wing rotation for them and what they'll be able to do there. Do you like uh, the fit with him next to De'Aaron Fox? And do you think... Uh, based on what you know about Mike Brown, he's someone that we should watch as like a really good bounce back year and that he fits schematically what they're going to try and do. You know, um, I went another show to talk in depth about this with Kings fans. Mm. Um, so I did do a deep dive on this uh, a few days ago. It's it's funny because they're on, you know, they're, they're trying to replicate uh, the neighbors down the road in, in San Francisco. You know, yep. they had Luke Walden come in to do that and that didn't work out so well. And then they have Mike Brown. So, um, I mean, obviously, Herder is a, is a shooter, and he'll, he's got size, so I like how that fits. Don't, don't sleep on Malik Monk. Yeah, uh, they also are bringing in who um, really did a nice job turning it around. It didn't look like he was going to even make it to the season in the beginning with the Lakers, but then slowly figured his way out and ended up being just terrific for a big chunk of that season last year. And everyone was some, it was a great story to rally around in, in the middle of the dismal Lakers season. Um, so I think that what the, you know, these are good steps. Um, you know, Mike Brown hasn't always had the most success either uh, as a head mm-hmm. coach. So, you know, his focus, as I understood, it was defense. And so that'll, that'll be good because they really struggle defensively and need help. Um, when I went through the beginning of the season to figure out, well, can they run the Warriors offense, which I'm assuming mm-hmm. they kind of want to do, which is why they're bringing him in and, and stuff. It was like what you saw from Darren Fox in the first half of the year, there's just no way. The guy dribbles the ball way too much. He does not move out the ball. He certainly doesn't shoot well enough to provide that kind of spacing. And the rest of the team sort of struggled outside of, you know, Barnes, although they've addressed that. So, but then the trade deadline happens. They bring in, uh, they lose Halliburton and they bring in um, Sabonis. Mm. And all of a sudden, Sabonis starts playing that point center role. And Darren Fox is suddenly like setting off ball screens. And then coming around like that, it, had I not seen a little bit of that in the last 15 games or so, whatever we saw with, with Sabonis out there, I would have been like, yeah, no way, forget about it. But 
because there is a little evidence from the end of the last season that he was seen to be willing to be part of a cog in the offense, which is going to make him more dangerous when he does come around for the ball, then yes, I do feel like um, there are there is a version here where they can certainly improve a lot and get to be a lot more uh, fun to watch. And I think Keegan Murray's a guy who can shoot it uh, a little bit uh, when he stands still and they can throw it to him, which is probably what you know they're going to have him run in this offense. So yeah, th- there are there is a way where they can make this work uh, and they'll be better because it you know wasn't great last year, but I don't think. Like, you know, the question is, are they going to make the playoffs off of this? Like, I don't know. They probably could have enough to compete for the play-in game, but I don't even know if I feel great because the West is that stacked. Yeah, they feel like a plan. They they won, what, 30 games last year? They should get a couple more, I think, with the full season of Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. And they're also just older. Like, a lot of people are just like, oh, they're rebuilding. It's like, no, 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 no. This is uh, <laughs> this is an old team. They've been drafted. Like, Keegan Murray's, what, 22, I think, already? So, yeah. I mean, this is an older team, and they kept Harrison Barnes for a reason. Um, they could have moved him at the deadline. I, I think Rashawn Holmes is still an important piece for them off the bench. You look at it, they have eight or nine guys that they can count on that are all proven NBA guys, and I think that's enough to be in that playing conversation where I don't see a scenario where they have one guy at the on the floor at any particular time where you're like, oh, this is just, they got it the, four minutes and they're going to die here. Um, I don't I don't see that being the case in Sacramento. Right. And Mike Brown's like a player's coach. He's not mm-hmm. really going to grab anybody by the jersey and get nose to nose and, and let him know how he feels. Yeah. So it, that's the question. Does this team need that? I mean, as a coach, like I don't like that style anyway. I think there's other ways to do it, but d- d- is his temperament perfect for these players mm. and is it able to make that perfect for these players in the short time he's going to have like between now and then training camp and then training camp you know for that week and then the season's upon them and there's probably hardly any practice time so it is rough to jump in there as a new coach um in this kind of middle ground like you know sometimes you might feel like a coach can come in when they have been really bad and he's building from the ground up and that's easier mm. to shape it but uh, some of these guys are already shaped and he's going to have to kind of juggle that and that that's up in the air we'll find out uh pretty quickly i would imagine after 20 games we'll know uh what's what's working and what's not and and whether that's going to indicate a chance because remember the play-in game you got to win 39 games 39 mm-hmm. you know that's, that's a pretty big jump to make nine nine wins and over uh, from one season to the next so i don't i don't know how i feel about that just yet but give me like 10 15 games and i'll, I'll have a better opinion yeah, I mean, it will also just depend on what De'Aaron Fox is. Like we've seen close, if he's close to an All-NBA player, second or third team All-NBA guy, then they'll, a nine-win jump is about right. Like if Sabonis is close to an All-Star, like that's that's enough to for a nine-win jump. But we'll have to see uh, mm-hmm. what happens there. Um, DeAndre Ayton, he's back in Phoenix. I have him pretty low on my interesting thing where I, I still don't think this marriage is long for each other. I think just because he's back does not mean that uh, DeAndre Ayton is long for Phoenix. But I also want to get your perspective because when I watch a lot of Phoenix and I'm sure you have too, where you go through the numbers, the numbers match up with the eye test. Like sometimes that doesn't work for a lot of guys in this league. You go through clean the glass stuff and you look at his offensive rebounding rate and it's one of the worst in the NBA. You look at just his ability to draw fouls. You look at like where he impacts the game and you go through it and you're like, what is his thing? Like when you watch games, you're like, I don't know what his actual dominant skill set is. And I think in today's NBA, I just either want you to be Clint Capella, Dwayne Dedman, or a Joel Embiid type, which are very, very rare. But if you're not Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic, you need to be the rim running guy that we saw get to the finals. Like DeAndre Ayton, just only catch lobs, just be a, an elite rim protector, and don't worry about the the mid-range. Don't worry about the usage. Don't worry about any of that. I think his usage was like 18.5% or something last year, which was really, really low. Not max player money. They clearly don't see him in that capacity and he got the max and he's back. Um, I just, I don't know if it's a scheme thing for him in Phoenix and that there is more to unlock. Had he gone to Indiana and we would have seen a different kind of player based on what you've seen from Aiden. Is it a scheme thing for him in Phoenix or do you think it's just, he's, he thinks he's something that he's not still. Well, with with that, it's like he's got a nice jump shot. He actually mm-hmm. has some nice moves and touch around the basket. Um, but like to your to your point about his usage rate being so low, he simply does not get opportunities really to post up very much at all, mm-hmm. uh, or even flashing. And that tends to be like on the guards. And so he came into a situation where you had Devin Booker already firmly established. He is the guy, mm-hmm. and you know Chris Paul is the other guy. And it's by the way. You would argue that it's Chris Paul's job to, to better distribute the ball a little bit, making people happy and making sure everyone doesn't want to you know get upset. Because clearly, mm. 
something happened after being up 2-0 against Dallas. And I think something happened mentally or like, you know, with, with communication wise with the roles and whether like I, I'm waiting for the tell all book. I don't know if mm. come out, but there, someone must know because you don't you don't look that good against a team for two straight games to open and then completely like kind of fall apart after that. It was very, very strange. Well, uh, the court, what fell apart for him? What did you see the difference? Where did it go bad? What no, changed? that's a really good question. I almost have to go back and look at you know, yeah. the games at that point because I was trying to remember off the top of my head, like, what, why? I mean, listen, uh, Dallas got hot, mm-hmm. right? They figured out some lineups, and then the, 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 the Suns couldn't, like, defend better. And then when that gets on a roll, um, you know, they then they also they couldn't score well. I'm trying to think if there was another injury, but there, I don't think there was. It definitely just felt like a, a mental thing. Like, either they got somebody got into a huge argument, they said things they regretted, uh, and they, they just couldn't get over it. Like, that's what it looked like. I have no idea if that's really what happened. Mm. But clearly, we do know from, you know, the outside reporting a little bit that something was going on, right? Aiden and uh, and Monty Williams, right? They had a, something happen. Like, even on the bench, I think they saw a little bit of that. Of that. If it happened a little bit during the game, you can imagine maybe that's just a remnant of, like, a bigger thing that happened behind closed doors. So um, so that's the other question. So I, I would love to see Aiden get a bigger role. I mm-hmm. think he can handle that. I think he can get better, more touches on the high post. He, he can certainly shoot that 15, 18-foot mid-range jumper, and I would expect him to eventually get behind the three with the way he shoots the ball. It looks good. So um, I would be fr- uh, uh, probably really frustrated for, from Aiden's standpoint because he signed that offer sheet from Indiana you know, probably because he maybe he, he wanted to go. He's not signing mm-hmm. that offer sheet if he wanted to if he really wanted to stay in Phoenix, right? Like, because mm-hmm. um, that wasn't going to change his salary. Um, so at any rate, uh, so that that's going to be Monty Williams's biggest challenge because obviously you saw how how he could torpedo a whole series, right? It seems like that's that whole that uh, relationship. Now you have to be careful about Chris Paul because he's a guy that wears out as welcome too, right? Mm-hmm. He is the gold standard for point guard play. I will not take anything away from him the way he plays, but. We also have seen over a course of a few places he's been to now that that he wears on people after a little mm-hmm. while. And uh, and I get it. It's an old school style that we all used to do in practice. But there are just simply more optimal ways to communicate that uh, that are not as negative sometimes. And, um, you know, he needs to kind of tap into that, figure out how to get Mikhail Bridges to play better uh, and figure out how to get Aiden to play better, more touches. And I think that also means that, you know, Devin Booker, less touches. He needs to be a little bit more a, a part of the offense for the whole team to be risen up. Long answer to like a very specific question, but I hope that covers some of it. No, I think so. And I, I do feel bad for him because I would have liked, I think probably for him, he would have preferred to go to Indiana. Like Indiana, there's no roles. Like there's no hierarchy. Like Chris Duarte, Tyrese Halliburton is deaf. He sees himself as a point guard. He was on a podcast like a week or two ago and I was listening to him talk about it. He's like, I'm, I'm a one. And like seeing uh, that I was a shooting guard in 2K, it was just weird to me because it's like, I'm not a shooting guard. He's not a score first guy. Like that is not in his DNA. Like that is not who he sees himself as. So when you think about that, DeAndre Ayton would have been probably priority number one. Like he would have been featured and he would have been that guy. But then you're also like Rick Carlisle, if we've learned anything from him and his coaching style the last, I don't know, decade or so, he has not been that kind of guy where he's going to feature him unless he sees some Dirk like stuff. And DeAndre Ayton, I don't, I think he's going to be like, you're going to be Tyson Chandler for us. And uh, that's what we're looking for. Um, I don't know. know. I did a video on that, by the way, when he was talking about KP and how Mm -hmm. he should be posting up. And when I dug through all the footage and looked at it, I, I feel like uh, I, I refuted that pretty well. Hmm. And, and part of the reason why we even went away from the post up in the first place was because uh, when, when they came in and started um, tabulating the points per possession, they were doing it wrong because they weren't including if a guy did a nice move but missed at the, the rim and then grabbed the rebound and put it right back in. Yeah, That was not part of the post up, but it clearly is – because the post up got them there. If you factor in those putbacks like that, then all of a sudden it's like 1.2 points per possession. It's like a much, it's the most efficient play you could run. So mm. all because in 2004, when they decided to start charting this thing, they didn't have a basketball person charting it like that. Uh, and then everyone just assumed it must be inefficient. And then we went away from it. And now the people don't have the footwork to be good at it anymore. It was a weird, you know, dog chasing its own tail thing. Um, and and so anyway, uh, yeah, that would have been really unfortunate. I, I do believe that a guy like Aiden, who I think has improved immensely defensively since his rookie year, really worked hard at that and became a very, very good defensive center to anchor that their defense, uh, deserves, you know, three or four or five post-up touches down every 
game. Like he should, mm. he should get them. And uh, when he doesn't get them, I could see why he's frustrated. Otherwise, what is he there for? To be a punching bag and guys just banging, banging, banging all the way every time down. You got to throw the guy a bone. Give him, a, give him a touch on the wing. Give him a touch of the high post. Give him a touch of the low post. Let him do a few things. This wouldn't be that hard for a good team like Phoenix to do. We'll see what happens. I have my doubts that that's what they shifted up. And Chris Paul and Devin Booker sign on for that shift uh, in play style. But we'll see. I guess we'll we'll see. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, based on what you've seen, like the best version of Malcolm Brogdon, how he was used in Bud System in Milwaukee. Um, how does that translate to what Ime was running in Boston this past year? And how does that affect Marcus Smart, who finally got lead ball handler opportunities here? Jason Tatum brings the ball up a bunch for them now, and he kind of, uh, really evolved as just a playmaker, a primary guy and um, running a lot of action and finding guys in the corner and doing what he needed to do, navigating pick and roll. Like how does Brogdon fit in? Because I think he's probably the most interesting guy of this list. Like if healthy, how does that change what Boston just rode to the finals this year? Or do you think that's a seamless fit or do you think that there is some schematic issues that might pop up with Brogdon and smart in this group? So that's actually the, the answer would be yes, even though you're giving me a choice to answer mm-hmm. that. Because I think it's seamless, but I also think they're going to have a serious dis- uh, decision to make uh-huh. uh, between Brogdon and Smart because so it's no secret. Smart has frustrated me for his entire career. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way He plays decision making, shooting you know, choices, all those different things. But I got to tell you, he was able to get a lot of those things under control the second half of last season into the playoffs. And he played. Like he played fine in the, in the playoffs, in the, in, the, in the finals. He played fine. But when you want to win the finals, you got to play better than fine at that position. Right. And so I, my, my prediction, because here's the thing, like Emei's going to have to make a decision if he wants to play Horford in the crunch time. Mm. Uh, because if he does play Horford, then he's got to make a decision between either Brogdon or Smart. And right. I think that that's going to be a decision that Brogdon is going to make for them. And I think he's going to end up realizing he needs Brogdon in there, not Smart. We did see Smart get, getting benched a little bit of there down the stretch of some of these games for a reason. So I think that that Brogdon fills in those holes much nicer, much better for them. So, um, you know, if they sit uh, Horford, then they can play Brogdon and, um, and Smart together. And then mm-hmm. you got um, Brown and Tatum and then, you know, uh, Williams or maybe Horford instead of Williams. So you can kind of maybe do it that way. And that works as well. So he'll have more options, which is good. Yeah. But he might ultimately have a decision to make and that and Marcus Smart not might not like it. <laughs> so that's I mean, you I'm, mentioned Great Williams. He could be that like he's kind of evolved in that front. Like he might be someone who needs to be in those closing lineups just for what he brings defensively. Oh, I agree. Now, the only thing is, you know, uh, uh, Horford gives him the shooting that you, you know, yeah. it's shooting. But uh, Williams is terrific. If he can get healthy, he was mm. so banged up. I mean, the the, ser- the finals might have been different if he wasn't as banged up as he was. Mm. It might have been, had a better effect. So, um, you know, keep your eye on that as well. So the Celtics should should be good to go. And now, of course, you know, the Milwaukee will be reloaded again and healthy. Um, you got um, – uh, Geez, uh, even Cleveland's going to be really tough. Miami's not going anywhere. Miami. Uh, so the Eastern Conference is better too. So they they're not necessarily um, you know a, a lock to get back to the finals uh, ever again. So I think that that's yeah. why they want to short us up really quickly, get Brogdon because you know they got to the conference finals with um, the young Tatum and young uh, Brown. You know, several years ago, they probably figured, hey, we're set. We're going to get to this far at least for the next ten years. And they realize that it's not so easy and they better, you know, make sure that window uh, stays. When the window's open, we better, you know, do the best we can to get that to happen. So I like the move. I just feel like I wonder how that's going to ultimately work if Smart has to take a a role on the bench down the stretch, how he'll handle that and will that become a thing or not. Um, But I think that's probably their best lineup is to have him on the bench and have uh, Brogdon get those minutes. It seems like they're doing the Miami thing, right? They're kind of pulling a page from what Miami and Spo and Riley have been able to do, where it's like, we'll bring in Victor Oladipo. We'll sit Duncan Robinson this series if we don't like the matchup. We'll start Max Struess. Like, you're going to have to do that with Boston, right? Like, it might be a scenario where one, like, it's going to be some tough rotation decisions and Ime has to have that same cachet and I think he deserves it um, in yeah. Boston now. Like, he needs that cachet, but it's also like, there's the Brad Stevens element which is like clearly Brad is a huge Marcus Smart guy. Like that is very much clear is Brad is a Marcus Smart guy. What kind of conversation is that where it's like Marcus is clearly pissed off and you just got, you got over this. Like remember the blow up, like this is a 500 basketball team after 40 games this past year. And if yeah. you, if you rock that boat again, like I just, I don't see it being that seamless because like Miami like makes it look easy where you have all these guys bought in and you have all these dude, all these grinders who are like, we understand team first, this, that, and the other. 
But like it's it's easier said than done to get Victor Oladipo at this point, who's playing for his next contract, trying to get his career back on track to be like, hey, we you you might not play ever for us. Like we we want you to stay ready, but you you really might not. We're gonna play Max Drews if that's our guy. Like that that's a tough thing. Yeah, and no one's ever been able to explain to me what happened after 40 games in Boston where mm. the, the ISO multi-dribbled stagnant offense just disappeared, mm. and all of a sudden they're getting middle penetration, kick out, middle penetration, kick out, one more passes, all these uh, open shots off of that, uh, a real beauty to watch. And mm. it was overnight in a way for me when I was going through that footage at some point in midseason, um, and that's the that's a delicate balance you want to be able to maintain and keep people open to doing that. Um, when they don't do that as much and it got bogged down, they would struggle so uh mm-hmm. we'll find out and that and by the way that's what makes it fun to watch them when they're playing that way so i really hope they can, can they can continue capturing that lightning in the bottle uh and i i would have no doubt that he may may, may have had to use some some choice words middle through the season because he was already being a little bit um belligerent you know in his communication methods earlier on which we were wondering hmm, i don't know if that's going to work with these young you know tatum and brown whatever but whatever it did it, it clicked and uh and, and by the way marcus Smart was part of that as well he mm-hmm. was of that so um that's why i also think that you know brogdon can handle that well too because he could be on the receiving end of those passes for shots and be a good shooter or he could be the guy who's creating the uh the initial um penetration to the lane and getting all everything going so i think they're in good shape i think this is almost like a must uh, a must make deal the funny thing is is that you know you had all of a sudden brown and smart for a kd um, which was a very eyebrow-raising uh, idea because then it, then it takes away any kind of conflict that I'm talking about between Brogdon and Smart. Smart goes away, they have KD, then you have Brogdon. Now that's a team that no one's going to be in the East if they can make that trade. We'll see. We'll see. Um, Jeremy Grant traded finally to Portland. Um, it's one of those interesting things where Portland moves on from CJ McCollum uh, and you're like, are they going to do a full teardown? Nope. We're going to lock in Nurkic. We're going to lock in Dame and we're also going to trade for Jeremy Grant. And we're also going to draft Shaden Sharp, who will just the biggest wild card of wild cards. We're going to pay Anthony Simons. Um, and we're going to see what happens. Uh, we're going to get back in the playoffs. We're going to fight for it. And like, you're going to see what the like we're going to learn this year is like what Dame Lillard is as a floor guy where it just having Dame Lillard healthy for 82 games. We're going to learn even if it's an average to below average offense or just team in general. Like, does that still mean like a seven seed? Like it's we're going to it's going to be a good legacy year, I think, for Dame Lillard. But he's clearly cool with uh, Grant from your team USA days. But when you think about how he'll be used, I mean, we've seen what how Roko has been used the four there. We've seen uh, Nas Little at the four. We've seen a lot of guys there they've gone big sometimes with Zach Collins and Nurkic when they were both healthy but when you think about how Grant was used in Detroit do you see him being a high usage guy in Portland do you see a lot of pick and pop opportunities between him and Dame what what do you think Portland's going to do with Chauncey um, running the show and how he'll use Jeremy Grant yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a big meh uh, move to me. I'm not sure it, it does a whole lot, but I like Grant. He's terrific. He can play defense really well. He showed that in the playoffs two years ago, uh, and he can he can certainly offensively put the ball in the basket. So uh, I would expect him to get a, a fairly high usage, uh, you know, mm-hmm. behind Dame and maybe behind Nurkic, uh, you know, third in the team or maybe close to Nurkic as it is anyway. So um, he should be able to, you know, score uh, his share of points and be, and be a threat. I, you know, again, the West is such a bloodbath. I don't know mm. if they're going to be able to get back into the playoffs. But, um, if, you know, if there's anything you learn, don't bet against Dame right. uh, for that. And, you know, I, as I understood it from from his camp, he was suffering from this injury, the abdominal strain, whatever it was, for a long time. Not mm. just like the beginning of last year or whatever. So to finally take care of it, it should be a, a really big boost for him. And now he can rehab and get, again be ready for the start of the season. So, yeah, I, this is a, a big – this is the make or break, you know, legacy year for Dane to find out really what he can do. It's too bad we have to even put it that way because he's proved himself plenty of times in the, in the utmost of highest pressure situations. We know that he can come through for his team and be that guy. But um, – you know, it, it, it's it's going to be tough, man. I mean, I and I love um, Anthony Simons. I think he is terrific, and he's one. Of Does he guys. have star potential? Yeah, for sure. I've seen okay. enough evidence, and he, even on the small, you know, little bits. Even he was in L.A. Um, I think it was this Portland, whatever it was, like four years ago. Maybe it was his rookie year, and I was at a Clippers game, and he like mm. he didn't even score a ton of points, but he was the, the some of the moves he made were just ridiculous. So. Mm. 
even then, um, you knew that this guy had the ability if he could just get like the confidence and Dame can nurture that. Which, by the way, is an interesting thing because is it going to be him getting more usage or is it going to be Jeremy Grant getting more usage? That's going to be an interesting dynamic they're going to have to figure out with Chauncey. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't see this team like oh we reloaded and we're ready to get right back into the playoff hunt like they had been. Um, doesn't quite feel that way, but that's could be very well be because they just had a very down year and they traded some of the guys. Um, but but we'll see. I you know I, I don't feel great about it, but I would certainly think that they should easily compete for you know that seventh spot. Uh, you know Nurkic I like, but defensively is enough of a problem. I feel like that he doesn't. He's just not mobile enough for what they need in the modern NBA. And mm-hmm. over the course of eighty two games, it's going to be tough. Yeah, and I also just like the thing about Portland too. And there's a couple teams around the league like this where I just I like that not everybody. I'm I hate the idea that we it's either full teardown and it's bare bones or you're all in. Like I want to see some teams try and finagle through the middle. Like I'm curious. Like this is weird. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to work in DC with what they're doing with Beal. But hey, it's different. Like they're trying a different approach. Like does this mean that Shaden Sharp might have a better chance of being a really good player right away just because he'll be in good lineups where he's just surrounded by Simons and Nurkic and Grant and Dame. Like, will that just expedite his development? Will he be a featured guy pretty early? Like I am curious to see what that does because generally speaking around the league, we just see guys just uh, get this opportunity to be around a bad team and experiment and do stuff and just kind of evolve into who they're going to be, but that won't be the case with him. And then Simons, like you said last year, he benefited so much from playing with insert player X here down the stretch when everybody was out and he had an opportunity to just have a crazy usage and do stuff and experiment. And he was a really good player. He's not going to go backwards. Like he's going to have a high usage. Like once you make that jump, it's not like guys are like, all right, well, that was fun. What a fun ride, but I'm going to go backwards now. It's, it's uh, it's Jeremy Grant's time. Yeah. Um, It'll be great to see like Dan, maybe get off the ball a little bit more. I think he'll have that opportunity, right? Yeah, and I think he he can handle that too. I mean, he did it when you know even when CJ was in, although CJ did it mostly when Dame would go to the bench. But still, um, you know, they they have options. It could be fun. Um, you know, it could be the place no one wants to go to Portland to play there because it's a tough place anyway because the arena. But then they're going to be they're going to be you know uh, they'll, they'll have something to offer. It's just uh, you know it's hard. Someone's going to have to drop down or a couple people, and that's like who's that going to be? But. Um, you know, this is a, this is one of the more intriguing years going in because all, some of these moves have made it kind of head scratching. We're going to get to a couple, uh, I think, after this. So, yep. um, you know, that that's why. But, you know, I, I like I like what they're doing and to some degree. I, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't feel amazing about it. But, uh, you know, give me 10 games to, to kind of warm up to it. Maybe we'll start seeing, you know, Dame getting, you know, the pick and rolls downhill and getting easy shots that way with, for Nurkic. Uh, Simon's getting kickouts for them to break out his man and do stuff. And then, uh, you know, and then, you know, uh, Jeremy Grant cleaning up the rest. I, I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I bet you Jeremy Grant will, will probably be the, the you know, the, the below um, Simons in the usage. Yeah. He'll feed off of that, uh, but it'll probably be close. Absolutely. Um, the final two that I think uh, everyone's got, like I thought about throwing Wall, but it's like he hasn't played basketball in two years. Like John Wall's not interesting until we actually see what he looks like. I just, I don't see that as, I, I just, he's a TBD. I don't, I don't think he fits into this conversation. But I do think DeJounte Murray and uh, as someone who watches a bunch of Atlanta Hawks, I, I'm very curious to get your perspective on this because a lot of people have penciled in like this is just seamless fit. He's big. He's long. He's the perfect partner for Trey. DeJounte had a extremely high usage. He had a lot of responsibility the last couple of years in San Antonio. The team wasn't good, but the team still revolved around DeJounte and what DeJounte did. And it's easy in the summer for guys to be like, dude, I can't wait to team up. I can't wait to play. I can't wait to play together. Like uh, it, it's easy to do that when you're just playing and you see the other person's game. Like it's clear that Trey respects DeJounte Murray's game. Trey has never played with anybody like this. The closest comp is like Bogdan Bogdanovich. Like that's it. Like he respects Bogey. And you watch those games. The reason that they chose Bogey over Kevin Herter partly is because there is a respect there where like Bogey has shown that like in the playoffs, whatever, like I'm not, I'm not scared to bring the ball up. I'm not scared to take some of the pressure off Trey. Trey likes that. That's clearly a thing. Um, But with DeJounte, very different skill set. He's never played with somebody like that. Nate McMillan, based on what you've seen of him as a coach for years and years, what scares the living crap out of me is he loves all bench lineups. And the the way this does not go right for me is if you don't stagger DeJounte and Trey. And I don't know if this works if they're not staggered heavily, heavily. 
And that's something he'll have to do right away because there is no point guard up. Cooper's out the door, Wright's out the door. Like this is stagger central in Atlanta. It better be. When you think about the fit and what you've seen from DeJounte in San Antonio and what they ran, how do you think he fits with what Nate's going to try and do in Atlanta and how he'll be able to play with Trey? And do you see Trey as someone who will make that transition to an off-ball player, which he has to do, right? Yeah, actually, that makes me excited because okay. for so long, you know, you'd hear like the Trey and Steph Curry comparisons, but they, they really weren't merited because yeah. Trey just wouldn't get off the ball and Curry spends half the time off the ball. And that mm-hmm. made, and that's what made Curry so hard to defend because he's attacking from everywhere around the court and you never know where or when he's going to do that. So with Trey was predictable, but you know, listen, even still the dude is I'm taller than him and I, I'm six feet or whatever. Yeah. One. And, uh, and he, he's, he lived up for, you know, 28 points a game. He shot 38% from three and almost, you know, 10 assists a game almost. So he really is able to, to, to in, in that role, just like how much better could you be than that? That's that's as good as you're going to be in that position. But I'm looking forward to getting him off ball a little bit more, letting Murray. But oh, by the way, Murray can also be off ball. He should be able to probably coexist easier alongside Trey with the ball versus DeJounte having the ball and Trey having to kind of figure hmm. it out and being off the ball. But I'm very excited to see that. because I think that'll really help them. And then, you know, I haven't checked the the line, uh, the roster I use there's, there's no other point guards in the in the Hawks. I mean, with Cooper and him gone, it's Bogey. Like Bogey's gonna be the de facto backup guard. Like he's yeah. first guard off the bench, and I I we'll see. I don't know if he'll do that, but like DeAndre Hunter was doing some point forward last year. I think it's gonna be one of those things where Cooper's out the door. Wright was the guy last year, and Wright's gone. Um, I don't know. There is not a definite answer behind him, so there will not be a true point guard backing up uh, either of those guys. Yeah, so yeah, you're absolutely right. They're, they're going to ultimately stagger that, which will probably be better for those guys too because, you know, Murray's going to want to get his own run. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, listen, Trey plays 38 minutes a game, 30, oh, only 35. Okay, good. Yeah. So there's, there's there's leeway there uh, to find those minutes for Murray on his own. Um, yeah, it, it should be, uh, you know, the, the only thing that was weird was that they, were, they had been, I, I expect them to capitalize in the season before that when they got to the conference finals. Mm. And they, you know, injuries, they couldn't quite get it right. They lose Gallinari, who I think was important for them. So, you know, DeAndre Hunter is going to get a chance to step up as well, who I've always liked, loved his game and think he's really the guy that's going to keep them together. I like John Collins, too. I, I like what they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is it, though. This is another one of those sort of make or break years as Trey enters his fifth year. He needs to be able to, you know, put his stamp on that and be able to drag his team uh, to the next level uh, consistently. And then I have to be a fluke about like, that one year and they went to the against Philly. I think the the de, like the defining thing that makes this makes or breaks this is what Enyeka and Kongwu is like if Enyeka becomes oh, yeah. like if he's a star, then that changes everything like Enyeka has flashes if he develops a shot, which he said he's worked on. He can defend all five positions and Yeka is a cheat code defensively. And if he makes Clint Capella expendable um, at some point this season, that's huge. But Clint and Trey are super close. So I don't know uh, what the future is there. Uh, but and Yeka is, I think, the guy to watch. If you're wondering if Atlanta can get back to that conference final range, I don't think that happens based on the, just DeJounte and Trey alone. I think it has to be the next, the other lottery guy because people throw out, oh, Daley Dodson didn't play that. Like he was the 20th pick in the draft last year. Um, AJ Griffin, not a lottery guy. Like those are just taking shots and seeing what happens. It's really DeAndre Hunter's health and it's Enyeka and Kongwu making the leap as just a defensive nightmare and just someone who makes life hell for opposing defenses where like Trey can funnel him in. If he gets beat, guess what? Enyeka is lurking somewhere like that. And Yuck and Kongwu is the guy for me where we'll see where the Hawks go over the next couple of years is what he turns into, right? My normal prediction would be like he would assume the starting role at some point this yeah. year. However, it's Nate McMillan. And I yep. don't know if Nate would be willing to do that. He might be looking at like, you know, the chemistry issue, talking about how they're close, uh, mm. uh, you know, um, Capella is close with Nitre and all those things. So he might actually be willing to just sort of continue having a Kongu on coming off the bench uh, because he figures it's just better, you know, chemistry uh, and um, having, you know, veterans, that whole thing. But I, I, I have a feeling that, uh, uh, Okongo is going to give them a lot of pressure to figure that out more sooner than they want to, because I, the glimpses that we have seen has been terrific, better than yep. what Capella could bring them. And um, why start out the game, you know, behind the eight ball when you can bring the, you know, have him start the game, you know, because we've seen this in the past where, where coaches got stubborn about their lineups, and you mm-hmm. know, you're, just, you're down 
10 points every game. And then he, then he can, the other guy comes in and they play better. But it's like, why would you waste any time? Get that going there. Maybe the starter who's hurting you can do better against the, the, uh, the, uh, the bench of other teams. So that's, that's going to be a thing. So I, I predict that uh, as well. I think that uh, Ilkong was certainly going to, they're going to be in coaches meetings this year after 30 games being like, Hey, are we going to start him or not? Like that's going to be mm-hmm. a thing. Sure. Yeah, and I mean, also, injuries are just part of this thing. Or Capella's struggled with injuries the last couple of years. He's not getting any younger. I think Okong will, will be in the starting lineup sooner rather than later just because I, mm-hmm. just Capella was – we'll see. Uh, 82 games of Capella, I'll believe it when I see it in the year 2022-2023. Um, last one, Rudy Gobert to Minnesota. The fit, not about the picks, not about any of the other stuff. Him next to Towns, the Twin Tower approach, based on what you've seen from Chris Finch as a head coach – how it affects potentially Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, um, even maybe uh, Jade McDaniels. Like, how does this how does this work for you? You know, it's funny because someone else asked me the other uh, a few days ago about how Chris Finch has been on some staffs that have used uh, two bigs before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to go dig through that footage. Is anyone going to want to watch this video if I do it on Rudy and Minnie? I watch it. Yeah. All right. I'm like getting weird. Spidey well, no, Twin Towers. It's just weird because like we don't see this in the NBA anymore. Like this kind of stuff is different. So I think people want to know. Yeah. I mean, to this extent, we, we are seeing some traditional like we see Boston did it. You know, if you want to consider Horford and uh, well, I'm saying, like in their prime, Horford's on his prime and like Robert oh, Williams okay. is not a star. This is like two stars, two all stars. Yeah. Like this now, is a different type of thing. And, and like I've never been the biggest fan of Rudy. I mean, you know, he's a great mm-hmm. teammate. Uh, he's been very effective and certainly deserved to win all those awards in the defensive end. Um, but you know, obviously with the offensive deficit, skill deficit he has, it makes it hard. And he, whether or not you can say he gets played off the court or not, cause you can probably look at the numbers of the, of the minutes he's playing and there's, they don't really go down much in the playoffs, but he's just less effective. The teams get better. And suddenly like what he does defensively isn't as effective, whether they're, they get, he's getting blown by and they're getting the ball, the rim in, or they're shooting over him from the perimeter. Um, so I just, I, and I had told, I had said to the jazz fans or just anybody listening, you know, they probably should have broken up Gobert and, um, and Donovan Mitchell like three years ago. Cause in my mind, it was not going to happen if they wanted the title. So we talked about player or teams that get stuck in the middle or they're playing, you know, they're always like the third, the conference fourth and they're winning and there. It's a competitive product. And you know, the j- fans are happy. That might be okay. I was assuming that jazz fans wanted to get to the NBA finals and win. And based on what I had seen for those years before, like up until like three years ago, I'm like, this is not going to happen with this pairing. And mm. so you, now you move uh, Gobert to Minnesota and he's going to play alongside Cat, who in my mind, the reason why he was so effective on offense is because he's playing the five going mm. up against other fives. Well, now he's going to go up against fours who are quicker and can take away some of the things he gets in the perimeter and maybe not let him get to the basket as easy on the drives. Um, so how does that work? And then where was Rudy while Cat's trying to go to work? Because he tends to just sort of gum up the works and be in the way on the on the post, the weak side, you know, dunker spot. So it's it's a troubling thing where the, old, the one thing I could say, though, is that, you know, the best three-point shots are the ones that come off of offensive rebounds. So hmm. why wouldn't you want to maybe put in a lineup where you can get more offensive rebounds and then ipso facto get more threes? Uh, this would be some, an example of that, especially because when one of them can shoot threes like Cat can, well, then, you know, you don't have to have them both always go into the boards or the offensive rebounds because then he could be another guy to receive that pass right away for in the scramble to get an open three. Um, so that could very well be part of what they're thinking about. And then, you know, the other thing, I guess, obviously, would be they needed to shore up the defense. Cat defensively as a center just isn't going to do it. And they weren't going to, like, bench him. And so, you know, the other the next best thing is, OK, let's bring in the best defender we could find that's available. That would be Rudy Gobert. So that that makes a little bit more sense to me. And then the third piece of the puzzle would be, is Anthony Edwards going to ascend to the MVP status like we all think he's going to, right? At some point he will. It looks pretty clear to me he's going to be that Michael Jordan. He's 20. Yeah. Like that's the thing. He was 20 doing that last year. Yeah. I, so I mean, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. And if it's this year, and Cat's okay with that, if, if he is, where he's like, okay, you're the, you're the man, I'm going to be the second guy, as long as he's okay, and I think he would be. Cat seems to be a really, like, sort of reflective guy and, mm-hmm. and sensitive to teammates. So I, I would think he would recognize that pretty quickly and say, no, 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 you, yeah, you could be the man. I mean, here's the problem. Anthony Edwards can be prone to taking terrible shots. Mm-hmm. And – 
big men and specifically hate that, right? Yeah. They're getting beat up all the time. They're running back down. They get to the post finally, and they turn around, and then all of a sudden they're watching the ball go over their head because he threw up a bad Well, three. he'll be in the corner now because Gobert's right there. So he can he doesn't have to take as much punishment. So when he's running uh, down the court, he'll just hide out in the corner or something. Yeah, although I was thinking, though, that if he's going to have guys who are like fours playing him more, mm. then maybe he will go down the post because he'll yeah. be – Waller helping them advantage. I don't know. Again, it's it's kind of up in the air how they want to do it. They have, they have options, which is always the more important than having no options. So, but yeah. I, I, there is a version, yes, where if Anthony Edwards kind of really assumes that 28, 29 point a game person where he's shooting 35% from three, uh, he's getting his four or five assists a game, like, you know, in that role then that makes them so good, I think, because Cat is that good offensively that they're going to be in the mix. And then, you know, Rudy can plug it in. But I, I just feel like, there's something about Rudy that tends to put a ceiling on teams. And um, so, you know, we'll see. I, I, I'm a little bit, you know, bearish on them. But um, I will say there is a there is, it's possible after 20 games, we're like, whoa, they're like they're 15 and five and they're and they're making this thing work and they're causing all sorts of problems that could happen. Or it could be 10 and 10 and just a struggle. If they're not in the top four in the West come playoff time, I would be pretty surprised. I think this team is built for the regular season and gobbling up the wins. I would be pretty surprised. I'm also just curious, like, where does the D'Angelo Russell uh, thing go? Because, like, I don't know. I don't know if he's on this team come playoff time next year. I like him, too. I do. I, I, you know, I know he's had his issues and his all sorts of, like, uh, you know, um, uh, maturity thing, whatever. But... Uh, I like him. I've always liked the way he plays. He made, it's very difficult to guard him. You know, mm. he's so shifty. You just don't know what he's going to do. And he's very non-traditional the way he attacks. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it, it definitely became a problem because they were benching him more and they were finding success while he wasn't on the court. Uh, and that clearly would, would make anybody upset who was used to getting, you know, much more regular minutes. And then that could cause a problem. And we, we've seen that happen oftentimes. I, I, where did they finish last year? They finished um, seventh, right? Seventh, yeah, uh, as a, as in, in, the, in the playoff round, play mm-hmm. round. Um, you know, yeah. So they won forty six games, which is good. Like the question, yeah, they should win fifty plus. Like I would think it's a huge failure if they don't win fifty plus games next yeah. year. Yeah, and and I get that whole thing. Like Rudy in the regular season yep. is a guy who gives you a nice boost. Boost. So I, that's reasonable. I don't I don't think it's unreasonable to say they can get to fifty. And fifty wins gets you just below the fourth seed if they won yep. last year. But you're right in that mix. So, yeah, I, I can see that, um, you know, so that, that's definitely that's fair. And then the question then becomes matchups, like who are you going to play? Right. And I'm going to get stuck against Steph in the first round. And then, you know, that's going to be rough because then Rudy gets play off the, played off the floor, whatever you want to call that. That's tough. Um, but then, I mean, who does who does Golden State throw at Anthony Edwards if Anthony Edwards makes that leap? Like I they they're going to have their own mismatch thing where it's like, who are they going to throw at Anthony Edwards? I mean, that, but I don't know. Golden, that's the Clay's one. not that guy anymore. Uh, he's not, but Wiggins is, and, and you know, yes, they, they can throw. I mean, Kaminga, you know, has shown sports for playing true you know, before. Uh, it seems like they have guys, and Clay is Clay, you know, he's not Clay anymore, but you know, he's still smart and he can still, mm-hmm. um, you know, provide them some defensive awareness there. So I, I'm not so sure that uh, they'd be that overly concerned about it. I, they'd probably be more concerned about being too small and getting, yeah, they're getting killed in the boards that situation, yeah. Yeah, and that, and and again, that's that's probably the what I've mentioned earlier. That's probably what they're going for is they're going to you know crash the boards, uh, you know, sacrifice potential fast breaks behind them um, if they don't get it for for in exchange for putbacks and uh, and kickouts for threes on those offensive rebounds. Uh, I'm convinced that there is a team, and maybe this is going to be it. Who can do this? They can go back to the traditional things. If Rudy's the one guy that makes me kind of wonder, but uh, you know, even his passing, his hands are not great. He gets the ball knocked out of his hands a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but. Um, but, you know, there is a team, if it's not this one, there will be a team, I think, at some point sooner than later that will play two traditional bigs, hammer the offensive rebounds and win that way and maybe shift the dynamic because everyone's so afraid of that. Now they all want to get back on defense. Uh, they'll shift that again and we'll see some more you know, uh, teams going for offensive boards. It kind of reminds me of the Brandon Roy, Andre Miller, um, LMA and um, Greg Oden team. Like, that's what it kind of reminds me of. Like, the best case, Greg Oden is the defensive anchor. Who yeah. You're like, I don't know how this will work come playoff time. And will it get played off the floor? Like, that's your Gobert. And you have LMA, obviously, like the star with him and Cat. And, like, it was it was big lineup. It was big. It was long. But then you had the star in, in Roy if he had stayed healthy. But that was, like, the best case scenario. That's who I thought about when I was looking at this roster and how they might be playing yeah. next year. My memory, though, of uh, Oden was he's better offensively than Rudy is. I guess right. It's just different, though. Like, Odin was more like hook shot stuff, and Rudy's yeah. just uh, – he's not posting. He's just gobbling up the the um, the lobs and stuff like that. I just 
they're just different. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he like if Greg Godin had a if he was healthy, I think his career probably would have been like best case scenario, kind of like what they got out of Rudy, right? Like I think that's kind of what you would have wanted if you're Portland. Not maybe not have a number one overall pick, but Rudy's had a really great career, especially at his value and where he. Odin feels more like um, uh, Aiton. I mean, it's not as big as Aiton. Mm. Like that is the kind of game because you know Odin. Unless I'm remembering wrong, he had a little bit of a jumper too. Yeah. I don't know if he could dribble, but he could pass a little bit. Like he had, mm-hmm. he had some. He could be a cog in an offensive machine versus true. You know, Rudy just is lost a lot of times. Like, you know, he can rim run or mm-hmm. he can ball. Um, but like you just get nervous when he when he gets the ball because he just you know the ball's gonna slip out. He's got a really weird release. He doesn't have he doesn't really have much of a hook shot. It's weird because he plays a little bit better offensively on the team France, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just a different game. The FIBA the international game when it's playing for national teams are just different. The rules are different a little bit. Well, the defensively, the, what you can do is different. So um, that that's probably the best the biggest reason why. But like he's just never been able to really put it together. So. Uh, but that's interesting. I will, we'll have to see. I mean, there's, it is again, there's one of the more, you know, uh, open seasons going into it where it's, there's not a lot of, uh, definitive answers for a lot of people. Well, in here, you said something, uh, that I hadn't considered. Like, so is that, so offensive threes off offensive rebounds is the best three point shot. Why is that? So the ball generally is being kicked out from the basket area. So the catch, uh-huh. receiver, first of all, it's a catch and shoot. Yeah. Second of all, you're already relying on the basket because the ball is coming from that direction, which is yeah. the second best one is a driving kick for that reason too. Well, That's what I was thinking. I thought it would be driving kick, yeah. Well, driving kick is also great because – um, the ball is coming from the basket area generally, but not always. But mm-hmm. that, your man has probably had a rotate, so you're getting some yes. more space that way. But with a offensive rebound, it's a scramble. So mm-hmm. that a lot of times is like really wide open because, you know, your defender is completely gone or they went to the yeah. or whatever. They're not anywhere near you. But the biggest reason, I believe, is that because you're already aligned to the basket on the catch and, mm-hmm. and, you, and you should, you know, they're usually wide open. So you know that that's the that's the key now again does it work if you get more are they always going to be that way like yeah i think so like sometimes Mm -hmm. you might not be able to extrapolate that out in a linear fashion but with this particular stat i i don't see why they wouldn't continue to do that because the defense is always in scramble mode the ball is always coming from the basket area and uh, as long as you make the right decision which is if you have a choice you know who's out there to pass it to uh you only get one pass generally right because the defense Mm -hmm. will get back after that um, you got to make sure you're passing to, you know, the good shooter versus the bad shooter. And if you can do that well enough, then uh, then you should be able to, to capitalize on it. College, it seems like they never find the right shooter in that scenario. <laughs> Listen, college coaching, uh, a lot of the places is really frustrating for me. And it's mm. stifling. Uh, and that's what they're there for. It's like almost like that's they just want to have so much control that the players suffer. I, I've had players cry on my shoulder hearing what coaches have been doing to them, just shooting wise, how they're trying to teach it. Uh, it's really, really bad. Um, there are outliers and, you know, at different levels, but, um, you know, like the Jay Wrights uh, over in Villanova, like he's doing terrific stuff developing, you know, individual skills, but a lot of it. And, and um, before he left uh, in Michigan, uh, Beeline has mm-hmm. a shooting system that doesn't, I, I don't really know if he likes to publicize it too much, but what he's doing is modern and correct and really helpful for a lot of guys. But when you have guys who are my age or older and they're teaching the things that we learned about shooting in the eighties, it's like you're just teaching them how to miss. It's really, really, really hmm. frustrating. So hopefully it'll start to kind of seep in more. We'll get more. I mean, I'm training a couple of guys right now in high school, and we're, I'm doing all the cutting-edge stuff with them. And it's like it really is remarkable how much it unlocks. And, it, and it's everything that I never would have done or I never would have learned when I was their, their age in high school. Um, and it's, it really is powerful. It's amazing. So hopefully that'll get out. Um, you know, I suppose that's what I'm here for, but we'll, we'll keep teaching and, and, and the, hopefully the college guys will get better and better in college. So you don't have any more of these, you know, 50 to 49 games like they have sometimes. So there you have it. Uh, coach Nick saying buy Jaden Ivey, Kate Cunningham, Sadiq Bay stock. Uh, if you have not already done so buy the, buy the shooter stock in Detroit, they, they're in good hands. Oh, yeah. I like Kate. I like what they're doing there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't forget Sadiq Bay. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Sadiq Bay too. Yeah. So we'll we'll see because yeah, I think he has what is his title in uh, Detroit? It's like see, it's some kind of senior basketball ops job Beeline has in Detroit, and I forgot. Oh, what the, you know that's I missed that sense. Oh, is that that's right? what I was saying? Yeah, like that's why I'm saying to buy this stock because oh, like he's big. in that. Yeah, 
that's i mean if they let him put the you know, sneakers on and get down on the court with the yeah guy, I, I imagine he's involved some way i yeah. i'm imagining he's doing some player development stuff i did not know that that's big because casey yeah. is a dinosaur and who, yeah. not that he would be teaching shooting anyway but like you know like rick carlisle for instance when dallas they were teaching some ridiculous stuff and mm. uh and they had to do it because i I'm assuming it was carlisle at the head of that one telling mm. them that i'm sure it's because carlisle played and you know he played in an area an era where the two motion shot and like they didn't have the three point line and all these different things and he somehow like was clinging to that I guess and so um, you have to be careful that could that could be you know uh, really good or really bad and if uh, but if Beeline's there then I would, I would assume the Pistons uh, will shoot better this year. His exact title is uh, senior player development advisor for good. the Pistons. Yeah, yeah. Well, then so that to me, then the, whoever the development coach is. He's having meetings. He's probably looking mm. at home and he's going over stuff and he's suggesting things. And, you know, I'd imagine being a senior or whatever, they better listen to him. So mm. that's it. Senior is always a good thing to have in your title. It just it feels better there. It commands more respect. Senior, whatever. Uh, I'm a senior podcaster. People forget. Coach Nick, uh, we can check out your work over on BBL Rickdown. What would you like to plug as we wrap up here this evening? Uh, I, well, I just dropped this Russell Westbrook video, so go please watch that. And then, you know, take a dive. There's a lot of things I'm doing on the offseason that have been really good um, so far on YouTube. And just, you know, I have time to kind of just wallow in the footage longer than I normally would. So um, some interesting things, and uh, we'll continue to do that. There's gonna be, I know there's going to be a KD trade maybe. I'll have to do a video on that at some point. Uh, maybe I'll do a video on just where I think he should go. But who knows? But, um, you know, so there's that. There's Snapchat now, which is really cool if you want to check that out. And, um, you know, I'm always on Twitter. So and I generally respond to people. So uh, that's another great place to get me. There you go. B-Ball Breakdown. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on YouTube.com if you have not already done so. Coach Nick, this has been great. Thank you so much for making the time. We'll have to circle back again soon. You got it. I'm in. All right, y'all. Hope you enjoyed uh, part one here with Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown to talk all things NBA here on the Chase and Most Podcast on the Monday, August 1st, 2022 edition. As always, thank you for making the Chase and Most Podcast part of your daily listen, wherever, however you listen to this program. Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if that is how you listen to this very program. Check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase and Most Podcast. Like and subscribe, thumbs up, all that good stuff as we continue growing out the YouTube page as well. Email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com and yeah part two coming up Graham Coffee right after this SEC ceilings and uh, yeah alright Uncle Derek how'd I do? Nicely done nephew Chase Thomas Podcast hell yeah <laughs>